Welcome to the EQ Podcast. Welcome to the EQ Podcast, a podcast focused on equipping ministry leaders within the CCA here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Zach Lamberson, and with me is Pastor Steve Winery. And uh, we have a very special guest on the show today, uh, all the way down. F- Where are you actually at, Don, in California right now? I'm out in the forest somewhere, actually. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in Southern California. Okay. Yeah. Undisclosed location in Southern California. Don Stewart is with us this, this afternoon. Thanks, Don, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Love it. Yeah. So, Don, you know, we, we one of the things we've been looking at uh, in past episodes, and I thought it would be really good to kind of go back to just because you have kind of origins in the beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement. And I just kind of wanted to get your take on, you know, kind of seeing firsthand the the uniqueness, what was unique about Calvary Chapel and and kind of what maybe even if you want to draw back a little bit further, how you got involved, how God called you in the ministry. Wow. Now, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> we have no time constraints. We can make this as many episodes as we need to be. So just kidding. Um a little bit of history. Uh, it was in March of 1970, and I was as lost as a human being could be. And I saw an ad in the paper, in fact, a couple of them, about this church in Costa Mesa where people came with long hair, and I couldn't believe it. You know, they did that sort of thing. And then, you know, I read the article, and then my brother was in downtown Santa Ana. And uh, it's funny, it was Lonnie Frisbee's uh, a wife that witness to him and said, why don't you come to the church? And he mentioned that to me. So it was a Friday night. We had nothing to do. And uh, so I went to the church, not knowing what to expect. And I'll tell you what was so great about it. About halfway through, I just looked up and I said, God, whatever these people have, I want. And with it ever since, it was the first time I'd ever been to a church where I heard people say, praise the Lord was the first time I'd ever been to a church where I thought people actually believed what they were doing. I've been to churches before, but I didn't think anybody believed it. And so I became a believer that night in March of 1970, been one ever since, never looked back, never even thought for one second about looking back. The Lord changed my life. He's still changing my life. And, um, you know, I was there at the first baptism, uh, Corona Del Mar, when Chuck baptized everybody. Actually, Lonnie Frisbee baptized me because um, we had 300 of us come out and poor Chuck's by himself. So I got baptized there, and I started going to Bible college right afterwards, Biola University. And uh, a few years later, a couple years later, Chuck asked me to come on staff, uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. I worked with Josh McDowell for a year also, too, in 1976-77. And so I've, I've been with it, kind of watched it from the very beginning. I used to used to go to the church uh literally five nights a week. My ministry at the beginning, I'll, I'll just shut up after I say this, I didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know anything about anything, but I had a Volkswagen bus, and I could drive people to church. So sometimes I took two trips. I came in two shifts. I'd get the neighbors, drive them to the church, drop them off, come back, get another shift and do that and take them back. So that was my ministry in the early years. And, uh, you know, and God has been very good and very faithful. And here I am, uh, you know, 73 years of age and uh, 2023, almost 2024, and uh, he's looked after me, and I've I've watched the movement grow from the inside. I had the privilege also, too, that very few people had. I did a program with Pastor Chuck, uh, first called To Every Man an Answer, then Pastor's Perspective, and I was able to be with him 
on the program the last few months, you know, the last few years of his life, but in particular, the last few months. So I had a very unique perspective on all that went on. If you want to ask me about that, I, you know, I can uh, talk about it, but uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I don't like talking about myself, but that's kind of, kind of it. Yeah. What would you say is like the defining, you know, characteristic that you saw throughout the movement? You mentioned the fact that you went to the room and people were genuine yeah. I mean, there's other things we've talked to people and they, you know, there's things that really stood out to them. Yeah. What stood out to me is again, it was just people. It was, I remember going that first night, I saw a guy that I knew from high school and he was like the most popular guy. And, and there was a girl there, most popular gal, and they were lifting their hands up, praising the Lord. I think, what is this? You know, because I didn't think Christians were, you know, like that. And I just saw sincerity, I saw enthusiasm. And I could see it was for real. It wasn't fake. And this is what I was looking for. I was looking for something that was real, you know, and I, I didn't think it was in the church. I didn't think it was in Christianity. But then um, I was wrong, obviously, and it was. And then what was the thing I think that got me the most is he started teaching through the Bible. And I didn't know anything about it. So what I would do three times a day, I would listen to J. Vernon McGee morning, noon, and night on Through the Bible Radio. Then I'd go every night to Calvary Chapel. I remember listening to Jay Vernon, and I go, how does he know all this stuff? How does he know so much? This is incredible. And then I hear Chuck, and I go, how does he know all this? You know. And so I started studying. In fact, the night I came home, um, after becoming a Christian, it was really weird. I, I got home. I was so hyped up, and I looked, and there was this little bookcase we had, and it went with us wherever we went, because my dad, before he went to the service, was in the ministry, and we had all these Christian books. We never looked at them. We just took them from place to place. It's just my mother and brother and I, and they were sitting there going, ah, Christian books. So I spent the whole night reading them, and I haven't stopped studying and reading ever since. So anyway, that's that's kind of it. But it was teaching the Bible, going through the Bible, believing it, um, and having a, an excitement about it, and uh, wanting to reach others. And so that's kind of what got me. It still gets me, too. When you you go to certain, like with you guys, when I come up to Tri-Cities, you know, there's real people that really believe this stuff. You guys really believe it. And that's the kind of places I want to be. And that's why I've um, hung with Calvary Chapel all these years. Uh, yeah, sincerity is a huge factor. You know, I think having people who are honest and, like, really seek the Lord is, you know, it's game changer for people, especially, I, I think that's the thing that translates even now into our culture is people are looking for something that's authentic and real. Exactly. And I think, you know, having, being able to present Jesus to them in a way they can receive it in a way they can, you know, take it with them, I think is so important. And I would ask this too, you know, how do you see Calvary Chapel moving forward? What do we need to do maybe differently? Or what, what can we do to continue to reach the culture? Well, here's the thing. I was in, a, like I said, a unique position uh, when Chuck was, uh, you know, basically waiting to go home to meet the Lord. So I saw all this stuff going on in the scenes. And, uh, you know, it was so predictable what would happen. You would see the best and the worst take place, which you did. But you knew that uh, usually after a movement like this, uh, historically, it, 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 scatters in a different smaller boot, which is good. It's not bad because there's really no one could replace him. There's there was no heir apparent, as it were. And so the Lord's been, you know, used different groups. I I speak I've only I've spoken to a you know many of them over the years. And uh, it's just the enthusiasm, the teaching the word and, and the such like that uh, is there consistently. Uh as an organization, you know, I don't know. I don't know much about it. You know, it's interesting. In all the years I went there. I was never, never went to a board meeting, never, you know, I wasn't 
on I didn't well I wasn't on the in, inner circle as it were that way I know what goes on with pastors conferences this and that I didn't do that sort of thing so I would come as a participant I would come and, and watch and try and encourage people but I wouldn't uh, you know I wasn't in leadership and something like that so I leave that wisdom to others because that's a complicated world we live in now especially where we're at right now yeah. and uh, it's um, it's it's great to see uh, you know, people like what you folks are doing, holding true to the word of God. It's sad to see where so many guys are going woke and going on this uh, nonsensical stuff. But anyway, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, when I, when I first went to Calvary and it, and it was Greg's church, Calvary Riverside, um, that was my only experience with Christianity. Mm. And so I just, I just feel, um, really blessed to have you know, gotten involved with a with a movement and a and a fellowship specifically uh, with Calvary and Riverside that uh, was just so grounded in biblical truth. Just that's the way to grow. That's that's the way to go. And uh, one of the things that um, was kind of shocking to me was when I ran into other Christians that that weren't of the same ilk. It was, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> do, you, do you read your Bible? What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I th yeah go ahead. I, I hear you on that. It, it was interesting. I got a unique surprise the year I work with uh, Josh McDowell. I started, it's the first time I really traveled around the country. And it was in, uh, I got invited to this uh, conference to speak in, in the Midwest. And after I spoke, these four guys surrounded me. And they said, we really got to talk to you. We're real. And, you know, to set you straight. I go, well, you know, really? Would I say something wrong? He says, no, your hair, the length of your hair. I'm sure. And I thought they were kidding. I really did. I thought they were kidding me. No. And, you know, they all had jarhead haircuts and that. And they said, said, no, doesn't the Bible say this? You know that the uh, it's, it's you know you know man's not to wear long hair this and that. I go well, okay sure tell me where where the length is where where's the difference where do we where's the cutoff well you know I said no I don't please tell me and they couldn't obviously no one can right. but um, I've never been mistaken for a woman I'll tell you that uh, <laughs> but uh, it was so I that was kind of an eye opener too I give you one more illustration um, I'm speaking at a camp again in the Midwest when you get to know other Christians and different types of Christianity. Uh, I was a speaker at a retreat. This is 70, 77. And um, there's a bunch of us that were, uh, before the uh, kids came, it was a high school retreat. Uh, we were playing tennis. It was hot and muggy day on uh, Illinois. And so we want to get something to drink. And we're driving. I said, well, pull over here. And the girl that's driving says, that's a liquor store. I said, yeah, but I, I just, I'm, it's the only place available. I'm dying for something to drink. I just want a Dr. Pepper or a, a, some water. And she looked at me and she said, I've never walked into a, a, a liquor store. And she's like 27 in my entire life. I'm not allowed to go into a liquor. I, I said, why? I'm just, I'm not going to buy liquor. I'm just going to buy that. And it, it was, it was kind of eye-opening to me. The, the traditions that were there, what people believe, what they, you know, and I got yeah. hung up on. And that was one of the things that kept me from becoming a Christian when I ran into that. So, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's been quite the experience. Yep. So you know you're you've got a great background in apologetics. You you mentioned you were on the To Every Man and Answer Pastors Perspective, which were great shows. I you know loved listening to those when you got you. when you were on with 
with Chuck and just a lot of the questions you guys got. Um, would you kind of give us like your perspective on apologetics? Cause you know, again, we're talking to pastors and ministry leaders, like what are the things that they really need to have a grasp on and things that you think is really important for the church these days? Okay. Uh, first thing, uh, number one, when someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, I learned this from Josh. He was really great teaching me another guy, Ron Ralston, that we're traveling with him 76, 77. He's here's how you answer. I don't know, but I'll find out. And I had can't tell how many times I answered that. I didn't know the answer, but then once you find out, the next time they ask you the question, you know the answer. Don't wing it. Don't pretend you know something you, you don't know. It's just that simple. Yeah. And here's the key. Study, 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 and do more studying. Um, it, it never ends. The, the, the information that's out there, the information that's there, uh, we continue to learn in so many areas, you know, in in biblical studies. And uh, I, I just wish people would keep up with what's going on because there's some exciting things that are they're taking place. But you got to keep up with the study. So, you know, um, don't don't shun learning, learning because you're learning about God. Jesus um, said in Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 11, learn of me. And you learn by studying his word. So, it, you know, it's a constant thing you do. You know, you never stop. And it's uh, and that's kind of where my heart's been at. Like I said, that first night I stayed up all night and read books, and I, I haven't stopped since. You know, so I, I I keep learning. I have sensational desire to learn and to know. And then every time you learn something, you realize how much you don't know, and yeah, <laughs> and so you keep studying. But but that's one thing. Just learn God's word, and teach it. And if you, again, and don't wing it. Don't pretend you know something. Here's here's a mistake I see a lot. I've seen a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors do this. They quote someone else and as an authority, and the authority they're quoting doesn't know what they're talking about. And so, exactly. uh, yeah. yeah, it's been, um, it's not real, not real edifying because it's particularly in this day and age. You now you got the internet; someone can look up something instantaneously and say, "What? What, what are you talking about?" And so you got to be real careful what you say. You have to measure your words. But um, you know, like when I'd answer questions on the air, uh, many times I'd have to take a step back. I don't, you know, and that's funny. I talked to Greg Laurie about it once. He's the same way. Our minds think so quick. You, there's something you want to say right away. You think, well, we probably shouldn't say it this way because you'll, you know, and so you take a step back and think it through and measure your words. But, uh, you know, just just learn and uh, just learn. And, and again, if you don't know something, you don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. None of us, we're finite human beings. No one has to know at every second of the day the answer to every question. This is one thing I remember Norman Geisler said once that I really appreciated. He said, just because a finite human being cannot answer a question on the spot doesn't mean there's no answer to it. It just means that person can't answer the question on the spot. And it's okay to say, I don't know. So I, I, I did that from the very beginning. And good news is I do it less and less now because I had to say it so many times over the years and find things out, although I do say it from time to time. No, I think that's super helpful. Uh, <laughs> I like the uh, the authority, too, because I think guys read something in the commentary and think it's gospel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, find commentators that know what they're talking about and... Um, Please, you know, be careful in quoting certain people and, and the same error. One of the books I've written are 45 common mistakes about last day's Bible prophecy that are cleared up. That um, And I always say, look, I made about half of them myself in my ministry, and it's, and it's the sort of things you shouldn't do. 
and you need to learn to, you know, we all need to learn. I needed to learn uh, when you, you teach something that you heard it being taught, you, you know, thought it was right. But then you check out further and go, well, maybe it's not. There's other points of view. And it's OK to say, hey, look, I've changed my mind on something like that. The best illustration I have, there's a question about the... Uh, uh, remember, I used to believe and teach that, you know, when there was the two compartment theory, when uh, Lazarus died, he was in the, you know, and he and the rich man were separated two compartments in the unseen realm, this and that. And he wasn't in heaven. It wasn't until Christ died and then ascended that he brought the Old Testament believers into heaven. I used to believe and teach that. Then I, I studied about it. And I changed my mind. Well, anyway, one day I was reading on the Internet because I wanted to get the other point of view. And I read this four page thing that gave the other perspective. I thought, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I see it. I just don't see it that way. Then I look at the end of it. It was something I'd written or years before my name was on. I didn't, <laughs> I mean, at least they gave me credit. But, um, you know, to be able to say, look, I just don't see it that way anymore because of A, B, C, and D, but I'm always open. Show me, you know, show me where I'm wrong. Uh, I always, all the stuff I have is out there in public. You know, you, have, you don't have to wonder what I believe. It's all documented. So if there's something I'm incorrect on, please let me know. And I always, I'll change it. I have no problem doing that or saying that I'm wrong. And so we all need to, to have that idea. And because here's the problem I've seen, guys. I've seen a lot of people, pastors in particular, that never want to admit they're wrong, can't admit they're wrong, try and justify it when they make a mistake, make an error. Hey, we're human beings. We make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. We're not infallible. We're not perfect. Let's admit that and go forward, okay? Let's not uh, I think we know all the answers. We don't. Uh, we certainly don't. Yeah. Well, uh, we're in the Christmas season, and, and one of my biggest mistakes was uh, I, um, you know, I heard about Alexandra Hislop's uh, The Two Babylons, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so I got into that and uh, I was, uh, you know, I was kind of on that kick for about 10 years. And then uh, somehow I, you know, I, I started, it was one of those things where um, I started really paying attention to the guys that I was quoting. And I realized that uh, uh, Hislop wasn't right. You know, his footnotes were, were just messed up. And, uh, you know, went, went back and had to revisit that whole thing. I had to repent to my wife. I used to make fun of her over Christmas trees and you know, things like that. So, yeah. So, you, you, we, yeah, we can all identify, yeah, because it, it sounded good. We heard everybody quoting it. Then you find out Hislop didn't know what in the world he was talking about. It's <laughs> nonsense. And so, yep. uh, in fact, one of the interesting things I've done in one of my books, we talk about what, what year Jesus was born and what day he was born and was he born in, on December 25th. It's certainly possible. You know, 365 days of the year. Exactly. You know, so yeah. we don't know. But um and the December 25th date, of course, was actually celebrated by the Christian church before the Romans did it. At 80, about 212, uh, you've got that being celebrated at that early date, at December 25th. So it, it you know, could have, but, but the fact Jesus was born at a particular time, that's the real key. And so that's what we need to, to emphasize. But yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm glad you're with me on that, Steve. There's things we've all made mistakes on. And, yeah. and so we understand when people make them. And we give them the grace that hopefully people would give us and we admitted we were wrong. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good transition. You mentioned <clears throat> your your book on prophecy. And I know right now uh, the hot take is, you know, the prophetic implications of the Israel-Gaza war. And, you know, just your take, um, Don, I know you shared recently at a church that you didn't think that this was, you know, any kind of lead up as far as Gog and Magog, but maybe just kind of talk a little bit about what it is. Yeah, the point, I did a whole program on this. The point I mentioned is, look, there have been 
uh, a lot of things that have taken place. In fact, you could make an argument that almost everything that's happened from the time of the ascension until the you know the final seven years is not mentioned specifically in scripture. Now the stage is being set by things, obviously. But no, you you don't have the Holocaust mentioned. You don't have the Crusades mentioned. You don't have the Torquemada, you know, the uh, mentioned. You don't have the uh, you know the pogroms against the Jews in the 19th century mentioned. You don't have uh, Yom Kippur mentioned in 1973. None of that's been predicted in Scripture. So why in the world would this be? What it does, it it basically further sets the stage for events that are going to take place. Ezekiel 38, 39 invasion. But it is not that. It uh, it's not no way, shape, or form. But what it does, it 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 basically, and I know Steve, uh, I'm sure he's preached on this and knows this. What it does, it it makes it very clear that there's going to be two enemies in the, of the world at the time of the end: the Christians and Jews, because we are the establishment. We are the white supremacists. We are the ones now, you know, the colonialists, this and that. And you've got people take taking the stand, like the Palestinians are kind of like the uh, you know the underdog, like they're the they're the like the, the 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 good guys and Israel's the bad guys. There's a recent survey that Harvard did, and about 51% of the college students believe the Palestinians were right. What happened on October 7th that they should run the Holy Land, you know, run have the whole country without understanding there's no such thing as a Palestinian. There's no Palestinian state. There never was, never will be. No language, no history, and so. What's happening is the two people groups that will be persecuted at the time of the end, according to Scripture, are the Christians and Jews. And that's exactly what's happening, and it's happening all the more. And what you're going to see, obviously, is a long-term fallout with this. Whatever happens in the end, it's it's going to be a long-term fallout against the Jews worldwide. And it, it you know it was bad enough before, so you're seeing that. But no, nothing specific with this particular series of events. But what it does, it's leading to things that are going to happen. I believe it's going to set the stage, set the world stage even more, put the groundwork together for what's going to happen at the time of the end. Um, I totally agree with you, Don, on the on the whole uh, persecution situation. It's, it's really clear in Scripture that in the last days, it's the Christians and the Jews that people are coming after. Even the the attacks on Western civilization exactly. is essentially an attack on Christianity um, and Christian roots of the you know Judeo Christian roots of, of Western mm -hmm. civilization. Mm -hmm. um, can you give us our take your take on um, Psalm eighty three? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a lament. It was written by well, it says the name Asaph, but. Uh, uh, probably wasn't written by him or a school of Asaph. I've written on this. It's one of my 45 common mistakes that people make. It has nothing to do with the last day's Bible prophecy, neither does Isaiah 17. It was fulfilled in the past. Um, many of the great Old Testament commentators believe that, documented that. John Calvin believed it, Kylan Dalich, and their view. I, I list thir uh, seven different, um, uh, you know, biblical experts that, well, they all say, first of all, it's not uh, future at all because it's a lament. A lament, it's a fixed form of the Psalms, and a lament always had to do with a current situation that needed a current answer right away. And so it fits, you know, we, we go through all that, and it fits, um, you know, what was taking place at the time, these nations that were uh, going to uh, attack Israel at that particular time. So yeah, I don't, I don't see it uh, at all, uh, like I said, that or Isaiah 17. Isaiah 17, Damascus, um, if you read the first 16 chapters of Isaiah, you find Damascus is a synonym for the kingdom of Aram, uh, which is modern-day Syria, and they're used interchangeably. And so Damascus being destroyed means 
the kingdom is going to be destroyed, just as Ephraim is used to re represent the ten northern tribes of Israel. Damascus was used to represent the kingdom of Aram. So, no, I don't believe that. And I've talked about that. I get a lot of flack. And I say, OK, read what I wrote and tell me where I've gone wrong. I'm still waiting for people to go through and tell me. So uh, because this is something, you know, I, I what I do on these, I. I, I start as an agnostic. I don't take a view and I try and find, I try and argue, okay, let's see if I'm going to argue for what would I say, but there's, uh, there's really nothing there. I think about 13 things that are wrong with the idea of taking it as a last day's thing. So yeah, that's, so that's my perspective. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that uh, you notice about the passage is that uh, some of the people groups that are mentioned don't even exist anymore. There are no Philistines, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and the modern Palestinian movement doesn't have anything to do with the Philistines. No, no. Uh, in fact, what's what's interesting you mentioned that I think it's something like I mean, I can't remember the number. Like seven of the people groups no longer exist. Exactly the Edomites. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. In fact, Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria was destroyed in 612 BC, and so uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry, there's no Assyrian kingdom anymore. Uh, right. What's interesting today is, you know, there are Assyrian Christians. About, mm -hmm. There's people live, you know, who are Assyrian, come from the Assyrians, a small percentage of them, but they're Bible-believing Christians, and there's no kingdom there, obviously. It's in modern-day Iraq. Uh, it's where they uh, live and function. But no, they just, again, but it keeps getting promoted over and over again. And one of the problems I have, I'm sure you face with it too, Steve, is when you say something like this, say, well, I heard so-and-so say this. And so, oh, my goodness, let's, you know, it's like yeah. Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. <laughs> about out to it so-and-so said it. I said, what? And my answer always is, what does the Bible say? What does the Scripture say? You know, exactly. let's talk about that. So anyway. I felt like I was just watching something happen, and I'll take the, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about, plea right there. <laughs> I don't know the answer. I was like, Psalm 83, I don't know what's in in Psalm 83, I'd have to go read it fresh with fresh eyes, but uh, I can appreciate that you guys had some kind of discussion there. You guys knew what you are talking about. That was we'll, good. We'll, we'll explain it to you here. Psalm 83 <laughs> okay. is a prophecy of the last days when it is not, and there's nations we're going to, man named Asaph, he's crying out to the Lord. And it's an, it's two types of psalms. It's it's a lament psalm. He's lamenting the situation, which is a typical standard form of the psalms. But also, it's an imprecatory psalm, coming calling judgment against the enemies of God. And it's something that happened in the way distant past. But what's interesting, I think it's sort of the 19th century. Certain people think, well, this is still future. These are nations that are going to exist in the future. It's talking about a future war. Is it going to happen before the tribulation, middle or after, and this and that? So that's what Psalm 83 is all about. It's used as a prophetic psalm. It is not a prophetic psalm. There's nothing remotely in it that is prophetic. It's dealing with a situation at that particular time. And so it's different from like Ezekiel 38, where verse 8 says uh, twice in the same verse, in the last days at the time of the end, this is going to happen. There's nothing like that in Psalm 83. And so yeah, it's not um, it's not something that uh, is prophetic. It just didn't. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's one of, it's one of those things where uh, people are trying to look for something in the Bible that has to do with the, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And uh, they jump on that psalm. So, yeah, they, yeah, and you're right. And they do that. Some people, there's a verse in Zephaniah they go to, there's a couple others, but mm -hmm. have nothing to do with it. Nothing. Yep. Zero. Well, I appreciate that. I like that honesty. If you don't know something, just don't 
don't come up with something and don't try to fit like the things that are happening in the world right now in the Bible if they're not in the Bible. <laughs> like, right. like the setting the table, God's obviously doing something and we could point people to that. And it's so clear, you know, Don, you shared, you know, again at our church recently, just the times that what we're looking at, there's so many clear things we can point to that we don't have to kind of muddle the waters. You know, we can really point clearly to things that are so prophetic and, and being, you know, Big time. You're right on that. There, there's so many things we should concentrate on that are obvious signs of the end. The stage being set for this is miraculous what's happening. But on the other hand, don't make things up that aren't there. You know, you don't need to do that. You don't need to exaggerate. One of the things I remember reading, Steve, when I was a young believer, it was about exaggeration in the pulpit. And I was, I was, I, was, I think it's from a Billy Graham Decision magazine I read. I'm about six months old in the Lord. And uh, it said something like, if you're ever going to preach, don't exaggerate, because there's enough, the, the, the story's true in and of itself. And so right. when I work with Josh McDowell, he said the same thing. He said, whatever you want to do, when you got an argument, always understate it. When people look up what you say, say, have them say, wow, he didn't say the half of it, rather than, what's this clown know what he, doesn't know what he's talking about? So you, you really want to be careful, you know, not to, we don't need to exaggerate, we don't need to do that sort of thing. And so it's very important that we just yeah. stick with the facts. Greg used to call it evangelistically speaking. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Don, we have a few, we call them lightning round. Wait, 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 before you do okay. this, oh, wait. Um, I, uh, if you were going to, um, let's do last days in apologetics. Mm -hmm. If you were going to recommend um, books that a pastor should have in, in his library concerning those two subjects, what, what would they be? I would I would tell them to take the twelve I've got on my website on the subject on uh -huh. educatingtheworld.com. I got twelve books on Bible prophecy on twenty five signs were near the end Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine invasion um, the Jews Jerusalem and the coming temple the final Antichrist the Ark you know the quest for the Ark of the Covenant and search the lost Ark quest for the Ark of the Covenant I've got two books on the Rapture uh, what else do I got I got a dozen of them all together but anyway. Um, an introduction to Bible prophecy. Yeah, that's why I did this, because I mm -hmm. think people should look at that. And what I tried to do is take the best of the best to put it down and put it in such a way where people can study it, they can learn it, they can use it. And the good news, it's all for free. We don't charge anything for it. So, yeah, that's that's what I'd recommend. That's why I did what I did. And you kind of refer to, I assume, the guys you think are the most solid in those books. You have footnotes and stuff that guys go, yeah, these are the ones we want to look to. You know, who would I name um, in Bible prophecy? Uh, okay, I like um, I like Thomas Ice. I think he's very good. Randall Price is very good. Um, Joe Rosenberg, for the most part's very good. Joe's got a few things that are that he doesn't. You know, he shouldn't be talking about. Uh, who else? Uh, Mark Hitchcock. I, I, I know Mark's good, but he's got a couple things that you know I'm questionable. But he's mostly excellent. Um, my good friend Ed Heinsohn, who went to be with the Lord, is really, really good. And that uh, Tom Hughes, my friend who I work with, Tom's excellent. Um, of course, you got the guy sitting right here that really knows his stuff, Steve. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. It, he is fabulous with this. So uh, you go no further than than him. He hasn't written any books, though. That's Wait, his problem. Well, um, 
It's time to get the show on the road. That's what I'm That's telling right. him. <laughs> Thanks, Don. We've been we've been hounding this guy for years. He needs to write some stuff down. What one of the thing? Let me just say this: Song of Solomon, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I've been look the thing, Steve. Like I tell her, I was so impressed with you from the first time I saw you many many years ago when they had that retreat when I was in Spokane, and then hearing you speak and the the, the knowledge God's given you, the insight, particularly when you talk about the Bible and science. It's half the stuff he talks about i have no idea what he's saying but it sounds really great because yeah <laughs> i'm in that boat <laughs> i don't know the subject you know i don't know it but but the point is he's you've got a real learned man right here and so uh take advantage of him i would ask him what he thinks because um he, he is excellent so um but there are no you know that um i'm trying to think if there's anybody else out there how about for apologetics don like guys you think are really great for apologetics Oh boy. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Josh McDowell. I know he's a legend and he's got great resources as well. You're, you're one of the guys I always go to. And obviously that's why we have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, um, yeah. you know, here's the thing in the last number of years, I haven't really been, I, I, I was involved in the field. I've been, I, I've, I've kind of spread my horizons, not just, well, I do, I write on, you know, uh, many different biblical subjects and that, uh, the defense of the faith, reliability of scripture, this and that. Um, uh, Josh's son, Sean, is very good, by the way. Um, Sean McDowell, he is excellent what he does in apologetics. And it's funny, you know, because I think about the first time I met him, he was in a stroller and I changed his diapers a couple of times when I worked with Josh. <laughs> so, but now the, the kid is just brilliant. I mean, he is, yeah. he's really, Sean's really, really good. So I recommend his material. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the apologetics, of course, you've got to be careful. Again, uh, what here, here's where I do like. I really like the Associates for Biblical Research. Um, in fact, I'm, I support them. Um, uh, what's it? BRI, uh, B, uh, Biblical Search, Search, Biblical, you know, Associates Research BR. It's uh, Biblical Associates. Uh, org, I think. They're great because here's who they are. They're archaeologists. They're all Bible-believing Christians. They believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And uh, they are excellent. The stuff they come up with, the, uh, the you know, archaeology, the findings that have fit with the Bible, that kind of stuff is fascinating to me because one of the books I wrote is Ancient Mysteries of the Bible Saul, where I looked at the Old Testament and took 12 different topics that it's amazing, and I, you know, that the evidence for the existence, you know, of Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Isaiah, on and on and on. Jonah, you know, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah. It's it's incredible the evidence that's there. Now, again, a lot of it is inferential evidence, but what we find fits with what the Bible has to say about these characters. So that's one of the books that I've written. I think would be very helpful for people. And we, uh, but the Associates for Biblical Research there, they do an excellent job. So for apologists, that was really helpful to me because they come up with, you know, some of the latest findings. And in fact, they're the ones that, that came up with the finding the earliest Hebrew uh, time, they, the name of uh, Yahweh there. And uh, it was found in the uh, area of where was it? Gil Adam Zertel was the guy in Gil Mount Gilboa, I think it was. And uh, they oh, yeah. articles on that. It's really, really excellent what they've done, the work they've done. So I like them very, very much. All right. I appreciate that. You answered some of my lightning round questions already. So I'll just finish with this last question. Sure. And it would be, what would what would be one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's in full-time ministry or a pastor or, or someone who's looking to go into full-time ministry? What's a, a piece of advice you think would be okay. helpful? 
the same advice that one of my professors gave that um, I've never forgotten. He said, if you can do anything else besides being in the ministry, do it. Not that the ministry is the only thing you can do, but it's a calling. You have to feel called. If you don't feel called, you don't do it. It's a calling on your life. And you've got to, you know, like Jeremiah said, it's in my bones, you know, it's 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 in my my innermost being. I can't help but do this sort of thing. And that's how I got into it. You know, that's never stopped. I had other things I could do, obviously, but uh, this is what God called me. So make sure, make your, I guess maybe make make your calling sure. And Steve, I'm sure you agree with that too, right? When you people yep. come to you and ask you, what should I go into the ministry? Don't you tell them something like that? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, it's, it's one of those things that needs to, come from God. Otherwise, you know, I, I just feel like if I did any, if it wasn't God calling me into this, I'm just inflicting myself on people. Exactly. You know, it's like, that's, that's, that's not what I'm here for. And, and so, yeah, you got to make sure that this is where God wants you. Yeah. And once you have that conviction, then you realize that he's a very gracious God. Uh, he's got a sense of humor for using people like us in the ministry. I remember, <laughs> Pastor, I remember Pastor Chuck used to say, and he meant it. He said, God really scraped the bottom of the barrel to have me be the guy. This. And uh, he wasn't being, he was being serious too. And we, you know, yeah. uh, when we look at ourselves and thinking, you know, I, I think, God, why'd you a guy like me, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not fighting it. I'm glad he does. But, you know, it's like he uses the foolish to confound the wise, I guess. But make sure, I guess, make your calling sure. And if you're not sure, you're not certain, you don't have those convictions and find something else to do because you need to get up there. You need to, because if you're not confident what you're called to do, people aren't going to be confident listening to you. That's that's for sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's a great word. Uh, Don, thank you so much for being on the show and giving us your, your afternoon. I really appreciate you. Appreciate your ministry. Thank you. Anytime. The EQ Podcast is here as a resource for our listeners. Check us out at eqministry.com. On our website, you'll find a variety of helpful tools, including past ministry conferences and a contact form to seek out help or counsel from seasoned Calvary pastors who want to encourage you in your serving or answer your ministry-related questions. Until next time, God bless.